should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club Podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Because we done heard the word of the Lord speak to us and command it. My name is Kat. Not, not so happy with that one this week. Not so happy, no, also, given I, the well, implications we'll of this week's episode. Well, Benedict, I'm well, building maybe. a cover for us. I am building a cover. What made me laugh the most was that you stuck with the accent as you went into My Name is Kevin and then realized you were doing it. I think that's just normally how I do (laughs) My name is Kevin. (laughs) My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Benedict, current pastor of the Church of Tom Holland of Latter-day Saints. Benedict, Mm. what's a luxury item you desperately want? Desperately want? So, okay. There's little things, right? There's little things you see, you're just like, oh, that would be... I'd be so happy if I had that. That'd be so yeah. nice. Because so, consumerism infects us all. I'm not sure it's luxury per se. I don't, like, need it. Is I guess that's how I would define it as luxury. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, like, something I would use, like, every once in a while. It's definitely not like a, I, you know, it's not like a paycheck to paycheck <laughs> item. Um, so I'd define that as luxury. Okay. And it's, uh, are you just, like, looking for Christmas presents for me? Is that what's happening now? Shut up and <laughs> continue answering the question. <laughs> Uh, a knife sharpener, like a kitchen knife sharpener, Ooh. but like a good one. Yeah. Are you talking like one of the electric ones, or are you talking about just like one of the, the normal stroke through ones? Whatever Wirecutter thinks is the best one. <laughs> I don't really care. I just, I have nice knives. Let me take and down I have, some notes here. And I, I recently <laughs> discovered that the the honing thing mm-hmm. is not the same as a knife it's sharpener. It's not. It's not. I'm with you. Because so, I also own uh, Wusthof knives. I, I, yeah, same. That's what I have. Right. So I think I might have told you this when it happened, but in law school, I used to make baked goods for my first class of the week. Mm-hmm. I, you yep. knew about that. Uh, so I'd bring them in for the first class of the week. And one of my years in law school, uh, one of my classes at the end of the semester, like I didn't ask for anything. It's just a thing I do. It's Sunday nights. It's nice to bake and bring in stuff for the class. Uh, they got me a $300 gift card to uh, William Sonoma. Hell yeah. It's like, holy shit. Thank and that you means all. that you're spending $200 of your own money at William Sonoma <laughs> because there's nothing that's less than $500. That's also what William I got. Sonoma. I got you a gift card as your housewarming <laughs> gift last time <laughs> you like, what the fuck? I can't. <laughs> Did you just give me no, the gift card? No, I'm pretty sure going? the amount I gave you, the way I looked at it was, it was enough to buy um, like a, a, a La Crusette like uh pot or something yeah i think that's what i i think that's what i i think that's what i i calculated the amount for was like basically that uh but hey buy whatever you want it's a gift card that's what the point of but anyways so i went and bought a wustoff knife set uh, Mm -hmm. and i've been happy ever since i've been very happy ever since uh because they're fantastic knives but yes you do need to sharpen them but i'm someone i don't sharpen myself I actually, there's a little shop in town. There was another okay. one in D.C. Because some people, to. like, send their knives away in the mail yeah. to get sharpened. And that seems deeply... For like a week or two. Well, also, it <laughs> seems deeply weird to me to be like, here's a bag full of knives. <laughs> like, no, there's, like, there's a, uh, a, um, a restaurant supply shop out here in mm. St. Louis that sharpens knives, too. So I'll nice. go there. I'll browse through all the aisles while they're sharpening my knives and probably pick up some crap I don't need because I'm addicted uh, to buying commercial kick 
kitchenware is sort of one of my yeah. things. But uh, that's what I do with all my knives. Uh, anyways, it is on your Christmas list now. Anyways, okay. Benedict! Uh, you pr- oh, you didn't ask me what mine was. Well, it's because you carried on really quickly. Sorry. What about you? Mine. So I've told you before how I obsess over cables on my computer desk and underneath yep. them. I hate them. I hate having cables hanging around or visible or anything. And it came across my TikTok feed the other day. This guy who had built a custom computer desk, by which mm. I mean the computer was built into the desk. No wires running all over the place. It was just literally a computer inside of the desk. There was a couple of holes where, like, your, your, your wires could come out to plug into your monitors and stuff. It was mm. beautiful. I was so jealous. I was so incredibly jealous of this what do you think clean the clean ass of you desk. Doing that are zero, absolutely okay. zero, because I am not going to go take the time to find a custom desk maker and have a desk mate and then build a computer to go inside of it. I'm not going to mm. do any of that. But it's one of those things. Like, man, if I was insanely rich, that'd be a, that'd be one of those at the top of my list. It'd be right sure. up there. I'd be very happy. Okay. Anyways, Benedict, you probably know what it is we do here on this program. Uh, some other folks, folks who like seeing exposed wiring. Might not mm. know exactly what it is we do here. And then I would say, this is the show where we go deep, 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 to plumb the depths of right wing thought by reviewing a chapter from the work of conservative literature. And in between, take a look at those examples of the right, doing their best to make America hate again. Start us up, Ben. Do you have a hot take for us this week? I do. I'm very uh, burpy. And it arises... I'm very burpy. I'll warn, yeah, I'll warn you. Yeah, look, you're always burpy. That's <laughs> fine. Because I drink a um, lot of carbonated beverages. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I am sick of people talking about the ick. The ick? You know, the ick. You, you, you're familiar with the ick. I'm familiar. I'm just like, have people been talking about that a lot Yeah, it just really, I, I think it's just because, like, I get, it's just the media I consume. Mm. And this, the, this, this, this take brought to you by watching Married at First Sight Australia, <laughs> where the worst man it's in the always world about your trashy tv yeah, choices the worst man in the world is talking about the x that chicks give him and i'm I like i t- like the rhyme the itself is bad enough yeah <laughs> but he's like oh when chicks uh, i hate chicks that like crystals and you're like shut the fuck up oh please keep doing your australian no, accent please keep not. doing your australian I accent absolutely it's great. won't <laughs> it's fantastic we're not going to alienate a good portion of our audience by the way that I was don't, a perfect australian i don't know accent. why we have Shut so up. many australian listeners i could not tell you but for some reason we do <laughs> <laughs> my wife just came in instead of me <laughs> i want to hear her australian together accent. no I no you hers. don't you absolutely don't <laughs> um anyway so i'm sick of especially like mediocre motherfuckers talking about their ex mm. fuck off I hate it. Yeah, nobody's allowed to have you, the, the 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 Fox News is going to run a segment on you. Lefty liberal communist says wants men, everyone to like everyone. Men not allowed to have preferences anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you just shouldn't be allowed to call them X. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Okay. Because the fact that you call it an ick is an ick. Like, that's... (laughs) Look, I'll say about that guy's specific gripe, uh, a woman who likes crystals, that is a green light for me. That is a green green light. Huge green light, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. That's a huge green crystal. (laughs) Let's go. Uh, What about you? What's your hot take? Don't tell me. Let me guess. Pat Nelson was the best stand-up comedian in the world working today. No, Benedict, I was more creative (laughs) than that. It is... Seeing a great comedian in a small <laughs> venue 
is truly priceless. <laughs> is that because Pat Nelson does not have a lot of fans in St. Louis? What are you saying? Last time he was here, he sold out the Fox Theater, which I is one of the biggest means. theaters in St. Louis, right? Okay. Uh, but he's, no, he, he's got his recent tour. He signed a deal with City Winery. So he's appearing, oh, weird. He's appearing at city, city wineries around the country. That's, That's so weird. That's so small. I'm sure that they are paying him an exorbitant amount of money. I am sure that this but is like, like... It's like no, raising no awareness offense, of the brand or something. but they don't need to. Well, the shows were sold out. Both shows. He did two shows Yeah, but I've been to I've been out. to tiny musicians that sell out Sissy Winery. Yeah. I I just saying, man. I think maybe it's I, I don't I don't know what the calculation is. I don't know what they're paying him. I know he has a joke a long time ago about a, uh, um, uh, a, a casino that paid him enough money to pay for his child's college. Uh, <laughs> I would assume it's somewhere around that. It's probably somewhere around that level. Sure. Uh, but it was a fantastic show, and honestly, he's one of the greatest of all time. Uh, the opener was fine, but then Patton comes out, and it's like an entire new world. He just has such incredible skill uh, on delivery, on comedic timing, the nuances of it. It feels like he's talking to you directly or every single person in the room. And the new set he's working on is fantastic. It's I you know I don't want to spoil any of the wonder because Dang. I'm sure there's going to be a new uh, new Netflix special or something he'll be doing coming up in the next year or so. But it's outstanding. I'm so excited and and I, I really uh, everyone uh, go check and see if there's tickets available near you. It was a great mm. show. Anyways, on to housekeeping this week. Benedict, remember to rate interview us on the iTunes. Uh, follow us on the social medias. Oh, and I should say, I was talking to Benedict before the show, um, and he mentioned to me that he was going out uh, for ramen the other night, went to a ramen Mm. restaurant. Do you remember when I used to do this to you? And uh, he decided uh, they'd go to this little place right down the street, uh, went down, sat in, you know, had had some sake, as you do. You know why Uh, you stopped doing this? (laughs) Because you got so annoyed with it. Because it fucking (laughs) sucks. And he went to order. He wanted wanted some tonkatsu ramen. That's what he ordered. Uh, Waited around a couple minutes, and, you know, they're wondering, where's our food? It doesn't take long to put ramen together, right? Uh, And the waiter comes back comes back to the table, looks him right in the eye, and says, Mr. Mr. Benedict, uh, I almost, <laughs> That's did, my your, name. I almost yep, did your last you. name there. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry, but the chef has informed me that we cannot serve you because you don't have enough stars on iTunes. So, mm. if you would like to improve Benedict's uh, eating out abilities, uh, you could uh, go and leave us five stars on iTunes like you should. Actually, I have a new hot take. <laughs> that you hate that bit and you wanted to die again? Yes, but also <laughs> I think that stars should be aggregated and not averaged mm. because then there's less room for review bombing because people don't give you one star because it adds to your aggregate reviews. Good idea. Let's go petition our overlords at Apple and see how far that gets us. Uh, anyways, Bennett, follow us on the social medias at NYGBCPod on Twitter and at NYGBCBen. That'd be so funny. Things have 160 stars, <laughs> but it's because it has 161 star reviews. Benedict, would you still be leaving Nazis one-star reviews on iTunes? (laughs) No, I just wouldn't review them. I'd give them zero stars on iTunes. Yes. Anyways, Benedict, uh, updates. Updates this week. I have one update, and this is really one of those things I do where someone comments on the internet, and I like to respond on the show. What did you do? No, I like to respond. No, this is... Okay. You informed me, because you monitor the Patreon, that someone had a question for me about wrongful conviction cases. Uh, Mm. And this is one of our listeners who was asking about the Adnan Syed case. And can you pull up their name? I didn't put it down. Yeah, one sec. I'll um, do it while you talk. 
and, and wanting my opinion on the Adnan Syed case as a wrongful conviction attorney. And I will say that the Syed case is not one I have followed closely enough to even know the basic facts of. Uh, like, I remember I started listening to Serial back when, but I never got through, like, more than an episode. It just wasn't, eh, it just wasn't what I wanted to listen to at the time, and I never went back to it. Uh, sure. But I know a little bit about it, right? So I'll just talk about what I know. And the big one is DNA testing, right? So Sam Walsh. Sam Walsh, the, who will be yeah. inducted in a moment into this big world, new world order. Uh, but testing was done on the DNA, on the evidence from the crime scene uh, in the 90s. I think the, the crime happened in, like, 98, 99. Um, and none of Adnan Syed's DNA was found on anything. And that might seem like a huge deal to the general public. But as a wrongful conviction attorney, it doesn't really mean much. And let me give you an example that's more straightforward. Let's say there is someone who is murdered with a hammer. Mm -hmm. And the hammer is found at the crime scene. Uh, and you go and get DNA testing on that hammer. And no DNA of the alleged culprit shows up on that hammer. That is not a piece of positive evidence that you can use to argue your client is not. No, it's just crime. an absence of evidence. Exactly. Presumably. It's only a big deal if your DNA is found at the scene. Or if imagine. the DNA of someone else, a probable suspect, is found at the yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, and, you know, sadly, this comes up most often in rape cases. Um, the one I point back to is the uh, making a murder case, uh, right? The Avery case. Uh, yeah. Where he was conclusively cleared of the first, first crime. The DNA test found the real culprit. And obviously, I think that makes the, the title of the series that much more apropos, right? Did we make a murderer uh, by putting mm -hmm. him in prison now for all that time and, and how we treated him? But uh, that's the sort of times when DNA testing does matter. More often than not, if we get a negative test on a DNA test, there's really not much we can do with it. Um, and DNA testing doesn't come into uh, wrongful conviction cases as often as people think. Most of the DNA testing cases are handled by the Innocence Project, the big organization out of uh, uh, New York City that was founded um, uh, by a couple of, of OJ's prior attorneys. <laughs> mm. uh, so, but they do most of the DNA testing. A lot of uh, wrongful conviction work everywhere else is working on other aspects of cases, the biggest one being like eyewitness ID. Single yep. eyewitness ID is the single most common factor in wrongful convictions. When the primary evidence or only evidence in a lot of cases relied on by the prosecution is a single eyewitness, um, especially when the eyewitness did not know the alleged perpetrator before the crime and also compounded by cross-racial identification. Mm -hmm. Because we as white people do not recognize the facial features of African-Americans or Asians or anybody as much as we recognize the facial features of white people and vice versa. It just goes with how, you know who uh, you spend most of your time with. You come to be familiar with those facial features. And for white people, that's generally we spend most of our time around white people and vice versa. Uh, so that's yep. that's one of the huge issues in wrongful conviction. Um, and then the biggest issues in most wrongful conviction cases are procedural, the, by which I mean the biggest issues with bringing a wrongful conviction case are procedural, and that should not be the case, right? The mm -hmm. Supreme Court has had an awful decision within the last two years uh, called Shin v. Ramirez, which affected the way in which we are able to bring uh, ineffective assistance of counsel claims, uh, basically negating a whole category of them that we're not able to bring anymore. Mm -hmm. and causing other procedural hurdles. The biggest hurdle for federal habeas corpus, which is the way we have to bring a lot of cases after we've gone through all the state-level stuff and failed all, all of them, um, is severely limited by EDPA, the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act, 
which was like a knee-jerk reaction to Oklahoma City and the First World Trade Center bombing, and it was basically meant to limit the amount of appeals that, that prisoners can bring uh, and to f- fucking kill as many people on death row as quickly as possible. Uh, so it's a horrible bill, really needs to be changed, really needs to be j- just, just fucking done with because mm-hmm. it's, it's it causes a nightmare. Um, but, uh, so as far as the Adnan Syed case goes, right, I don't know a whole lot about okay. that case. <laughs> it's a long way of Going saying. Going back uh, to that, but I, 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 you know, I wanted to use the opportunity to highlight a few issues in wrongful yeah. convictions for, for some of our listeners. Um, you know, I think that, that, um, when it comes to, I, I read a little bit about the appeal before we started, uh, recording today, just so I can like have a basis of where things are. As of right now, my understanding is he is out on release while the yep. uh, Court of Appeals of Maryland consider, considers the appeal, um, and, and that's good. That's positive. You should be out when you're dealing with an appeal rather than in prison. Um, but I think it get, goes back to the difficulty that we have in overturning wrongful convictions is we have to present, let's say if we just have like a scale, right, the, the, the level of evidence that the prosecutors have to present to get a conviction is a one on the scale. To overturn a wrongful conviction, we have to hit 100. We have to conclusively prove that they were not involved with the, pl- with the crime. Mm-hmm. It is far more than beyond a reasonable doubt. The, yeah, the yeah. standard we have to meet to get someone exonerated. Well, it's, for it's the opposite, isn't it? It's, it's proving beyond a reasonable doubt the other way, kind no, of. No, it's not. It's, it is a higher standard than proving beyond okay. a reasonable doubt. Uh, that it, it's hard. Maybe I'll have to do a whole episode on wrongful convictions yep. someday. Sounds right. Uh, and we can talk about it because I I am passionate about the issue, obviously, and I love to talk are. about it. But I did want to address that, and I'm glad we got a little bit of time too. But Benedict, that brings us to our new inductees into the spooky world, New World Order. Bleh. Starting off with Benedict, what was the name? Sam Walsh. Sam Walsh. <laughs> you are now part of our. New World Spooky World Order. I thought you forgot what you were supposed to do it there for a second. I did. <laughs> I did. Followed by, <laughs> followed by Mockingbird Nation for sending us a delightful little video, which we did need to see. You are now part of our New World Spooky World Order. I didn't see the video. What was the video? You commented on that, or you oh, liked yeah, it. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I know. You're right. And finally, Johnny Siucci. I'm, I'm assuming that's how it's pronounced. Who, uh, uh, you know, this one has to be di- this one has to be different, Benedict. Because this is an inductee into the, into the Snoop- new world, Snoopy world the order. Snoopy world, new world, new world Snoopy world order. <laughs> Thank you, oh, so very much. And of course, if any of you would like to join the Spooky World New World Order, blah, you can tweet or post about the show on social media, recommend to others, and send me a screenshot or tag us in it. Leave us a five star review wherever you can. Drop me a screenshot to let me know. Make a donation to a worthwhile charity. Become a patron, or just get my attention with something good. With all that out of the way, Benedict, let's get depressed for the future of America. Which cool. should be the way I start all of our shows, honestly. Yep. <laughs> because today, oh boy, let me just go back in history here. On October 3rd, 2023. He asked me what day it was. No? Okay. <laughs> Republicans ousted their former leader, Kevin McCarthy. That was a Stella Mean Girls joke that deserved better. <laughs> Shut up. Because... Matt Gates and the fascism caucus were unhappy with his lukewarm. The mean girls of the Republican caucus. You mean? Oh my god, <laughs> they're not not that. I'll be just, you know they're not not that. I will say, they kind of are. Carry uh, on. <laughs> but they were unhappy. Uh, you know they wanted the 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 violent coup rather than the uh, slow and painful one that was going on. Um, and thereafter, you know the better part of a month 
of all of us laughing as one lightweight chud after another tried to win this. It was very funny. It was. And now the joke's on us. And the joke is absolutely on us because on October 25th, with basically less than a day's notice of who the new nominee was, the House voted on party lines with no defectors at all, and the ridiculously unknown Mike Johnson was elected as the 56th Speaker of the House of Representatives. And I say ridiculously unknown because really... Who in the fuck had even heard some of some Republicans? Guy? Didn't even know who he was for sure. Literally, I, I forget like who some it was. of his House colleagues, not Republican voters. Yeah, some of his House colleagues. Literally, some of them. Uh, it it might have been uh, someone in the Senate. I don't remember who, but someone said, "Well, I've never heard of him. I'll have to go Google." To he a was reporter. Graham. To a reporter said they'd have to Google him. It wouldn't surprise me if it was Tommy Tuberville also. Also, well, sucks. he said, "I heard there's a Google thing. Can you tell me? Is that on my phone?" Uh, that's how Tommy Duberville would answer it. Uh, but literally nobody knew this guy. I bet you even his constituents couldn't tell you his name if they had a gun to his to their heads. And given everything that has been revealed about him in the weeks following, I can't help but be a tiny bit suspicious that that ridiculously short time frame between nomination and vote was part of a strategy. It's well, really... also, I mean, they were nominating everyone like it was pretty much one a day at that point. They were just going <laughs> down a list. So, I, that, you know, I, I think you're probably right. But also, I think there was a certain amount of desperation. <laughs> he is the debt. Well, we'll talk about him. I don't know if he's the desperation pick or not. He might be exactly what they wanted in the end. Because Mike Johnson is one of the most extreme members of the House and definitely one of the most extreme speakers in U.S. history. So yet again... An event in the news sidetracked me from my intentions about getting to the, 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 what I had planned with the Lunatic Fringe episodes, and I really had no option but to do an episode about him because there has been a ton of great reporting on him since he was elected speaker, and every new thing we learn about him is just more concerning than the last bit. I mean, like, literally, his Wikipedia page has changed, like, 50 times since I started working on this story. Like, just looking through the log of all the moderators discussing changes to his Wikipedia page, the amount of, the flurry of activity is just wild. Just insane. Every time there's a new news story about him. But, Benedict, James Michael Johnson. So he's mm. not even Mike. He is James. Okay, uh, Jim, uh, Jim, jo- Jim Johnson. Jim Johnson. And yeah. earlier in his career, he went by J. Michael Johnson. Uh, which brings to me invocations of J. Michael Jameson, or J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> J. Jonah, uh, Jonah Jameson of, uh, of Spider-Man fame. Yeah. Uh, but he was born January 30th, 1972, in Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, okay. the oldest of four children to Jeannie Johnson and James Patrick Johnson. Uh, according to Mike, he was the product of an unplanned pregnancy while his parents were teenagers, and they later divorced. His, okay. fa- his father was a firefighter. Not very evangelical Christian of them. No, well, I don't know. There is, like I said, because there's so little known about him, there's just like nobody has followed up a ton about his family so far. There's not a whole lot down on paper about his family. So, and I have seen some, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but, you know, his father was a firefighter in the Shreveport Fire Department, uh, and Mm -hmm. he was severely injured in 1984 fighting a fire and was unable to return to firefighting, so he became a hazmat consultant, and he passed away in 2016. Now, I mentioned, I can't actually find much information about his mom and any career she might have had. And if anybody finds that, send it to me. I'll put it in an update because I'm really interested in how he became a theocratic fascist 
I, and I have to think it started in childhood. Like, it, it just mm-hmm. normally does. I did find a Washington Post article where the reporter just ran into his mom at, like, a restaurant in his hometown Ooh. doing what he was just doing background on him for a story. And she basically just, the only line from her in the story is just like, God did this. But there wasn't much info about her in the story. Okay. He graduated from Captain Shreve High School. That's not a real place. (laughs) Captain Shreve. I know. I saw that. Like, what the fuck? He graduated from Captain Crunch High School in Louisiana. (laughs) It's named after the founder of Shreveport, who was like Captain something Shreve. Uh, So, yeah, it feels like you could have just gone with Shreve High School. I don't think you need the captain. No, he was very particular about being called captain (laughs) at all times. He 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 refused to respond to you unless you called him captain. (laughs) Yeah, like Tommy. Tommy Unless you call him coach. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, Then he went went on to get a bachelor's in uh, business business administration from Louisiana State University in 1995, uh, where he was also the publicity coordinator of the Kappa Sigma fraternity. And then went on to get his JD from Louisiana State also in 1998, which is currently ranked 99th in law schools in the country. Out but of, we don't care about that. No, we don't. None of us are, are elitists about which law school we went to. No, uh, especially will, not you. I will note there are 200 law schools in the country, and that is 99th. Not, yeah, it's median. He's, he's a man of the people of law schools. I think many people will tell you, once you get past about 50 or 60, you stop counting mm. what rank you are. You, you stop putting it in brochures, certainly. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but before his involvement in politics, formally, you know, there's some informal involvement in politics, and I certainly would say everything he was doing was politics. Uh, Johnson spent his legal career working for the Alliance Defending Freedom, or ADF, mm. as we typically know it. The ADF is an SPLC-designated anti-LGBTQ hate group that was cool. founded in 1993 by Bill Bright, who also founded the Campus Crusade for Christ, Larry Burkett, an evangelical financial advisor. James Dobson, founder of Focus on the Family, another anti-LGBTQ hate group, although not labeled one by the SPLC because they don't typically name religious organizations as hate groups. I think that's bullshit, but whatever. Do you? Uh, Other founders include D. James Kennedy, who's just the founder of a megachurch, Marlon Maddow, a Christian radio show host, and Alan Sears, who was responsible for the Mies Commission report on pornography, that was done for the Reagan administration, which is interesting. The Mies report is interesting. It was done for, for Ludwig von Mises? You really want to learn no, about that? No, not that. But it was put together primarily by Christian fascists for the purpose of justifying tighter restrictions on pornography in the United States, mainly through lying about it and through creating connections between the porn industry and the mafia is one of the main things they tried to do in that report. It's, Did they manage it? I mean, not convincingly. <laughs> yeah, but that's because you can't convincingly tie the mafia to anything. They know well, what that's kind of their job. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of their whole deal. I don't doubt the mafia has had some fingers in hey, pornography. Uh, some the fingers in fucking many places, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but uh, certainly, maybe maybe some fingers happen to get some places. Who knows? I think there was some motivated reasoning in putting this report together, and it also contrasts with another report. <laughs> Sounded like Don Rickles when I tried to do my fucking. <laughs> Mafia. <laughs> it's the Don Rickles Mafia. It's a, it's a whole different thing. Uh, they extort people for um, uh, crowd work. You got to do your crowd work. Yep, got to do it. Uh, but there was another report on pornography that was issued, uh, started under Lyndon Johnson and carried over through Nixon. Uh, and that report recommended loosening restrictions on porn. So mm-hmm. this report, squarely opposite of the way that history was trending at the time. Not surprising being under Reagan at all. 
No. Uh, Alan Sears was also the first president of the ADF for about 20 years. He left in 2017. Okay. So he would have been in power while Mike Johnson was there. And, you know, the priorities are pretty much what you'd expect. So mm-hmm. the ADF, uh, as mentioned, is an LGBTQ hate group and has called for the recriminalization of homosexual relationships, um, outlawing or banning of marriage rights, and all sorts of similar things along that vein, right? And this was, to be clear, one of Mike Johnson's personal issues and something he worked on extensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the mid-2000s... I saw on, uh, not to spoil what I'm sure you're going to mm-hmm. get to, but I saw on Colbert they said to Pete Buttigieg, like, they, they just did quotes from Mike Johnson saying it was like a satanic gay marriage, was like the satanic, satanic bridge to hell or something along those lines. Well, Benedict, for example, in the mid-2000s... <laughs> oh, you were say, literally about to say it. 2004, he wrote the following... In, uh, the, as an editorial in the local Shreveport newspaper, The Times. Quote, On September 18th, the people of Louisiana have an historic opportunity to vote for decency and common sense and to safeguard civilization's oldest and most important institution. Incredible as it may seem, the culture's assault on traditional values now requires us to pass a constitutional amendment to define and protect marriage. The proposed Defense of Marriage Amendment, which was endorsed in June by an overwhelming majority of the legislature, that's the Louisiana State Legislature, will ensure that marriage is limited in our state to the union of one man and one woman. It will also prohibit the recognition of same-sex marriages, which marriages is in scare quotes, from other jurisdictions, and all other counterfeit legal arrangements is in Mm. italics. Yeah. Radical homosexual advocacy groups are desperate for liberal judges rather than the voters to decide this crucial issue. Thankfully, and we hate it when judges decide things, not the voters. Yeah, yeah. Skipping down a little ways. There are many reasons why we need this amendment. The recent debacle in Massachusetts proves what can happen when this matter is left to the courts. What was the recent debacle? I think they passed same-sex marriage. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I think that was it. That was really it. Uh, continuing down, skipping down a little ways. The state and its citizens have a compelling interest in preserving the integrity of the marital union by making opposite-sex marriage the exclusive form of family relationship endorsed by the government. Loss of this status will de-emphasize the importance of traditional marriage to society, weaken it, and place our entire democratic system in jeopardy by eroding its foundation. And, man, it's reading that old, those old arguments against... Against marriage equality is just, it's such a trip. Because they've pretty much abandoned that type of language these days. They don't bring that up anymore. (laughs) Not Mike Johnson. They still want it. They just don't bring those arguments up anymore. Maybe because they know how bad it sounds, since none of their scaremongering came true. Really Mm -hmm. seems like that's that might be what happens. It continues. Society grants benefits and legal preference to traditional marriage because traditional marriage benefits society. Simply simply put, sex of any kind outside of the marriage of one man and one woman is ultimately destructive. Social Mm. science is now confirming what the Bible has always said. Yeah, that's true. That is, yeah, the the social science were like, wow, we were wrong about this Jesus guy. Yeah. Countless studies prove that traditional marriage is unquestionably the best, healthiest, and most satisfying relationship for everyone. Children. (laughs) Best, healthiest, and most satisfying sex you could have. (laughs) (laughs) Children in stable, traditional two-parent homes have less physical and emotional problems, do better in school, and are less likely to to live in poverty, get into trouble, or be the victims of physical and sexual abuse. Same-sex marriage selfishly and deliberately deprives children of either a mother or a father. Children need both. 
And then he gets into some gross shit. Homosexual relationships what, are... That, can, so, hold on. <laughs> it gets more gross is what I okay. should say. Yes. <laughs> See, the previous part isn't gross for me because I'm not interested in marriage at all. Maybe that's the Maybe that's why that's not weird to me at all. Mm. I've never really wanted to get married at all. So maybe that's part of why I find this grosser. Uh, homosexual relationships are inherently unnatural and the studies clearly show are ultimately harmful and costly for everyone. Society cannot give its stamp of approval to such a dangerous lifestyle. If we change marriage for this tiny modern minority, we will have to do it for every deviant group. Mm. Polygamists, polyamorists, pedophile, and I will say pedophile, as a polyamorist, mm. please don't legalize marriage for me because then I will have people who want to get into that sort of union and I'm not interested. Please <laughs> give me my excuse. Please keep <laughs> my excuse. And others will be next in line to claim equal protection. They already are. There will be no legal basis to deny a bisexual the right to marry a partner of each sex or a person to marry his pet, comparing it to bestiality. This is really playing the hits. That's really stuff I haven't heard for quite a while. Right, but it is all the hits. It's all the stuff you. It is weird about. how they legalized animal inter interspecies. Yeah, I thought that was like weird. Two years that. after yeah, the gay marriage ruling. Yeah. Um, uh, PetSmart v. Weird. Dobson was that the name of that case <laughs> at the Supreme Court? <laughs> smart was like stop marrying our gerbils <laughs> then uh this article in 2005 titled sexual orientation move should be opposed he wrote quote kudos to the times for bringing to kudos fuck you mike kudos to the times congrats dick. to the big boys at the times you fucking dork for yeah. bringing to light recently a current push by local homosexual activists to broaden the city of Shreveport's employment non-discrimination policies to include sexual orientation and gender identity. So This really has all been replaced with trans stuff. Like, not all, that's an overstatement. It, but like the big panic is now about trans people. Benedict, allow me to skip to paragraph three with also a content warning for trans, uh, trans discrimination. Is there some crisis of discrimination against transgendered people at City Hall? Of course not. This is pure political correctness run amok. Of mm. course, even in 2005, he was a trailblazer in discrimination, Benedict. A yeah. trailblazer in discrimination. Skipping to the last paragraph of the article. We must always remember that it is not bigotry to make moral distinctions. City officials can be opposed to elevating homosexuality slash transgendered identity to bring a protected legal to a protected legal status without being labeled anti-homosexual or intolerant. We've got enough legitimate, urgent problems to address in this community without wasting city officials' time. We can't possibly address other problems than the ones I care about. Well, you know, that would be a waste as, of time. As you know, Benedict, there are only five issues that anyone can care about at one given time. Mm. Uh, and uh, none of them can be things that uh, are, are good for minorities in this country. Nope. Unfortunately. Sucks for them. If only we could fit a sixth in there. It'd really be great if we could fit a sixth in there. And then Benedict, in uh, uh, I think this one has gotten the most attention, where he just argues outright for criminalization of homosexual acts, as he terms them, in 2003, titled Justices Take Swipe at American Values. He wrote, quote, the Supreme Court ruled 6-3 to three in Lawrence v. Texas to strike down the Texas homosexual sodomy law and thereby the similar sodomy laws of 12 other states, including Louisiana. The ruling has huge implications in the battle for the culture and has dealt a devastating blow to fundamental American values and millennia of moral teaching. Do you know what sodomy is? 
I well, I think the Texas law was only aimed at homosexual sodomy. I do know everyone always says this every time. The Christian right is not going to they're going to distinguish. Trust me. So, we can make the argument. It sounds funny to point out they're not going to be able to get blowjobs anymore. Trust me, they're going to make sure that they write the law so that it only applies to me. <laughs> so that they can still get them. Exactly. He yeah. continues. Anyway, it's any non-vaginal sex yes. is sodomy. Yes. More than a dozen pro-family and legal advocacy groups, including my own, the ADF, filed amicus briefs to assist the court in this important case. Most of the briefs share two common essential themes. States have many legitimate grounds to prescribe same-sex deviant sexual intercourse, including concerns for public health, the exponential spread of STDs and HIV, in parenthetical. Mm. Safety, morals, and the promotion of healthy marriages, and the unelected Supreme Court should not override the judgment of elected state officials who have prescribed conduct that has been outlawed for hundreds of years. Make no mistake, he wants to, still, to this day, criminalize things I do on Friday nights. Like that, uh, Only Fridays? You, he's fine with what you do on Saturday nights. Well, That's cool. Saturday is for recovering. Nobody does anything <laughs> on Saturday. And then Sunday, you're just getting ready for work the next day. Yeah, We're adults yeah. now. None of us have time to actually have fun on the weekends. It's once a week. <laughs> once a week. No, I, you know, I, I don't want to make light of it because literally part of the reason why I Neither decided, do I, but I also do because otherwise I'll die. Exactly. Exactly. No, I'm with you. Part of the reason I wanted to do this episode is when I learned his position on... Not, you know, I, I, he wouldn't be as important if it was just, here's a, a homophobe, right? Homophobes are a dime a dozen in this country and in, in yep. this world, right? They're everywhere. <laughs> now it's, here's a homophobe with the power to make law. And the fact that he wants to criminalize, criminalize same-sex intercourse, that is scary. That's a little scary. I, just, I, I, I don't think it's likely I, he'll be successful. It, it, it is scary. I just don't think they can do it. I, I, like I said, I, I don't think it's likely to be successful, but it's scary that in 2020 fucking three, we have someone who is third in line to the presidency, the most powerful person in the House of Representatives, wants to criminalize same-sex intercourse. Yeah. That's horrifying. Yeah. He should I, be run I, out I of town on a fucking rail. Yes, but I don't think they could do it any more than they could overturn loving. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there are just things that, you know, once once they've been around for a certain amount of time. They're going to try still, man. They're they still are probably try. still going to try. Yeah. They are probably still going to try. Of course, the ADF during his tenure also wrote an amicus brief that he mentioned in that article there uh, in the Lawrence v. Texas case, which uh, I don't think I, I described. But that is the case in which the Supreme Court finally legalized non-straight intercourse in the United States. 2003, mm. Benedict. That's later than it should have been. Yeah. Um, it's been reported that Johnson worked on that brief, uh, but it's unclear. I, some of the citations aren't great. Um, he's not the counsel of record on the filing, uh, which wouldn't be surprising because he's not admitted to the Supreme Court bar. Um, and I can't find anywhere that he acknowledged working on it. But again, I might have just overlooked some things. But if you see it, send it to me. I'll update it on the show. In 2004... He defended Louisiana's Amendment 1, which defined marriage as one man and one woman. That was the subject of one of those other articles there. And also, during his time at the ADF, has been involved in pushing religion in schools. For example, 
Uh, they have sued over supporting lawsuits or supported lawsuits, uh, seeking to get exemptions from sex education in schools, uh, allowing Christian prayer in schools, permitting the use of public buildings for religious purposes, Christian prayer at town meetings, that is the Grease v. Galloway case that a lot of people might have heard of, as mm -hmm. well as religious monuments on public land, everything you would expect. They've done all that sort of stuff. Uh, and of course, they were also responsible for the Burwell v. Hobby Lobby case, which created exemptions for birth control coverage in the Affordable Care Act. Uh, cool. And of course, they also drafted the model legislation that was upheld in Dobbs v. Jackson Hole Women's Health, which is the case that overturned Roe v. Wade in 2022. So they also have a direct connection to that case in that they wrote the bill uh, that banned abortion uh, in the state. Great. Of, yeah, it's not, not great. Uh, in the mid to late 2000s, Johnson also partnered with an anti-LGBTQ conversion therapy group called mm. Exodus International. Um, and in 2012, Alan Chambers, the head of that organization, repudiated all of his prior beliefs about conversion therapy, saying that conversion therapy does not work, that all the people he had ever met through the program, 99.9% .9 of them were still gay, and apologizing for all the harm that the organization had, uh, had caused to those who had been involved. <clears throat> and the organization shut down entirely in 2013. But before then, Mike Johnson, right, right up and close with him. In the late 2000s, he gave legal advice to the group and partnered with them to put out an annual anti-gay event aimed at teams called the Day of Truth, which itself was a counter-protest to the Day of Silence, in which students stay silent to call attention to the bullying of LGBTQ youth. Great. Great to have a counter-protest to an anti-bullying protest, Mike. It's a, it's a day of bullying. Well the, done, everyone. Basically. Good one, yeah. And of course, he said some really dumb shit out loud on the subject as well. What? The new Republican speaker saying dumb shit out loud. Whatever next? Like this. Many historians, those who are objective, would look back and, and, uh, and recognize and, and um, give some credit to the fall of Rome to not only the, the, the deprivation of the society and the, the loss of morals. Benedict, guess what's coming next? You've probably seen the, the gays already. The caused Rome to fall. Yeah. But also to uh, the rampant, you know, homosexual behavior uh, that was uh, condoned by the society. Rome let fell me, because let me, of Let the me gays. tell you about Alexander the Great's empire because... <laughs> Rome fell because of the gays. I, let me tell you about the greatest warrior to have ever lived, Achilles. Ben ever the, heard of Patroclus? Uh, let's just talk for the next 45 minutes. When did Rome fall? Let's, uh, let's have That's it. actually a good question because I think historians aren't really convinced that it did. Well, you, there are two schools of thought on it. One is that it fell. Benedict, and, and we this all is, took a class on Rome in college, okay? When would you say that Rome fell? Because there's Gibbon's opinion, but that was I think that was just because when, Romulus when, Augustus, Gibbon has as the last emperor, and he he th he thinks there's some symbolic nature to that because Romulus was the founder of Rome and Augustus was the first emperor, and therefore it's kind of nice in 434 to have Romulus Augustus be the last emperor Benedict, of the fall you're such of a Rome. Nerd. But, <laughs> shut up! This is my Marvel comics. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so, you know, then, in, of course, canon, the, in canon, the Eastern, the now, Eastern Roman Empire. they killed off Augustus in the special crossover. The event, Eastern but if, Roman Empire continued until 1453. That's how you sound. 1453, <laughs> when Constantinople fell. But then some people argue Rome, Rome continued through the tradition of some, the church some, and the Holy Roman Empire. Some people argue that the, the Russian Federation is actually the, oh, fine. the follow up. Look, to, uh, just Roman when Empire. I look, when I when Pat Oswald does it, it's great. But when I riff, 
<laughs> no, I literally, so in college, I had a class. It was uh, history of the Western world from whatever date to whatever date. And literally, like, the, the, the final paper for the class was, the, the prompt was, when did Rome fall? Because mm. the professor had spent the class teaching, like, here's what different people argue. One say it's when the, the Visigoths marched into Rome and unseated the emperor, and others argue that it's Constantinople falling, and then there's others say that the Holy Roman Empire is the successor, all that stuff. Those so are the three I things know all I just said. Yeah. <laughs> I know all the arguments. I just find it incredibly worthless to actually argue about because nobody fucking cares and it doesn't matter. What I will That's tell why. you is it wasn't because of the gays. It was not because of the gays. <laughs> That's the point we the, should have been addressing, the, Benedict. The gays were around long before the fall of the Roman long Empire. Long before and long after, as it turns out. Uh, he also defended the Ark Encounter theme park, which is where we start to really get into his religious fundamentalism because mm. LGBTQ hate-mongering is just standard right-wing Christian fare these days, right? There's nothing abnormal about that. We're all perfectly familiar with it. Yep. Hardly a single member of uh, the, the House Caucus that doesn't follow uh, the, the ideas of hate mongering that they put forward. But Mike is also a young earth creationist. Oh, good. Meaning, for those who don't know, that he rejects science and history and things and instead believes a literalist interpretation of the Bible that says that the earth is about 6,000 years old. A date that they reach by taking the biblical creation story as seven literal <laughs> by days. By guessing. <laughs> Seven literal days, and then counting forward from those parts of the Bible that are just really long lists of people and how long they supposedly lived. Yeah, including people who live like 900 years. Yes, Methuselah was like 990-something, yeah. 90 yeah. supposedly. Um, yep. I like to think of that story that it's like a kid's fish dying. Like Methuselah died, and There's then just like, like some 18 kid was people sad. called Methuselah. And they're like, no, 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 Methuselah's right here. Don't you remember him? Don't you? No, he didn't have gray hair. No, he was he was he was 22. <laughs> Methuselah was 22. Yeah, he's your new friend now. I like to think that that's sort of how that happened. But yes, Mike Johnson believes that the Earth is 6,000 years old. And boy, is that a problem if science matters to society? It, yeah, it you is. can pretty easily see how this is a problem. For one of our elected representatives and Speaker of the House to just reject science and all the things. It really seems like a problem to me. I can't express that strongly enough. Climate change. How are you going to talk to this guy about climate change? Oh, you're you not. Can't. We, we, we also couldn't talk to Kevin McCarthy about climate change. So, or Even if Kevin McCarthy is smarter, allegedly... The, it, it's the same result uh -huh. you know like the, it, it's kind of it that the, this is why not that i'm not concerned about this because obviously i am mm -hmm. but functionally i don't see that much difference between this guy being speaker of the house versus kevin mccarthy being speaker of the house and that's where i think you were overly optimistic i essentially I think you might be because remember. But uh, so sorry. I th what I think is for these two years, I don't think it matters. Basically. Yeah, mm, you you might be right uh, that, because that, that we is... have we have the Senate and the presidency, so nothing gets off the ground. I was gonna say, but there's a caveat there with the two years. Yeah, where I think no, you no, assume I, they no, won't okay. be taking no, no. more power in the near future. He, he, no, no. What I would say is, if he is still Speaker in twenty in January twenty twenty five, yes, big problem mm -hmm. potentially. 
Um, but right now it's, it's uh, functionally, and it, it might be, I might be wrong, but functionally not that different to Kevin McCarthy being speaker. Functionally, I, I will say you are correct that for now, while they have the yeah. limited power that they do, it is not functionally that different. I am worried about the future because yep. we, we no, talked. No, me too. I get that. We, no, that's why I think this is worth talking about. We You're talked right. before we started recording about my fears of the upcoming election. Um, and and I, I don't want to scare anyone too much right now, but I do not have much faith. And, and, and I was it was I was happy last election when I was totally sure we were going to get destroyed. Let's see. And, I think I mean, that, we, we haven't had a we haven't had a proper row election. I know. I'm just. Yeah. The anxiety is building and it's not going to be. Yeah, that's it's not going to be going Biden until the is not the super popular, but I think the House, we might do better than people think we'll do. Here's hoping. Anyways, uh, in particular, what Mike did for the Ark Encounter was to defend them in federal court in an attempt to keep their millions of dollars in tax breaks, which had been withdrawn by the state because they forced employees to sign a religious pledge saying that they believe in young earth creationism. That seems illegal. Sure does. Sure does. We'll get back to his positions later, but that's basically a taste of what to expect from the guy. So Mike met his wife, Kelly, uh, while he was attending LSU Law, and while she was, I believe, still in school at Louisiana Tech. Um, and according to Mike, he told her he loved her just three weeks after meeting, which is also weird to me. Mm. I get it that some of you people have, like, emotions and things, but I can't understand that. Doesn't doesn't just, quite make sense to done me. The psychopath test just uh, just out of interest. Just Look, I I think I have described myself to partners in the past as aromantic. That is why currently the the longest standing relationship I have is with my partner, uh, who uh, has also it, because she's a lesbian has no romantic feelings towards men. Mm. Uh, but we're friends and we enjoy doing things together. I'll let you imagine what those things are. But the zoo. She, she feels we have gone to the zoo several times because we both do enjoy the St. Louis Zoo. But neither <laughs> of us feel a sense of a romantic attraction to each other. We just don't. And I don't think I feel that towards particularly anyone because I've had many relationships and I tend to not experience what I think other people describe as love. I don't know what that's supposed to feel like. I just know that I don't necessarily feel it. I enjoy being around people. I enjoy having romantic partners. I enjoy doing the stuff that romantic partners do. I just don't feel those sorts of feelings. I'm a weird dude. Uh, but anyways, Benedict, stop interrupting my story. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> that was me going on a diatribe, not you. Mm -hmm. But they also married just weeks before he finished law school. And their marriage, like everything else to do with this weirdo, is not normal. And not in the fun way of like how my marriage would be if I ever got married, right? Not involving leather straps and a basement sure. full of accoutrement. Yep. Uh, Mike Kelly, Mike and Kelly, <laughs> Mike Kelly, uh, have what is called a covenant marriage. And this is not just like some little thing they do at church and say their marriage is special or whatever. This is a legally recognized type of marriage in three states, Arizona, Arkansas, and Louisiana. So does that mean that their marriage isn't recognized in like DC or this no, type of No, it still is. Okay. It still is. Um, the, there are legal questions as to whether the covenant portion of it, which we'll talk about in a minute, would be recognized in other states. Some sure. legal commentators have said that it wouldn't be, uh, but we'll talk about what that is here in a second. C because covenant mortgage is incredibly creepy and gross. The mortgage? Gross, <laughs> marriage. The gross part of it, to me, being that this shit is fucking legal. So first, 
Before getting a covenant marriage, you have to attend premarital counseling sessions, usually okay. offered by a church, that, quote, emphasize, and this is written into the law, that, quote, emphasizes the nature, purposes, and responsibilities of marriage. What, is that procreation? <laughs> you know, Benedict, I think a lot is left up for interpretation there, but I think we also know exactly what it means. And you yep. must sign a statement declaring that a covenant marriage is for life. But more importantly, a covenant marriage and the real purpose of it is to make it incredibly difficult to get out of. Particularly, I'll let you guess which one, Benedict, one of the two spouses is going to mm. find it harder to get out of than the other one. Is it the wife? I think you're generally going to find that's going to be the case. Yeah. Uh, that's the reason why this was created, to have a category of marriage that makes divorce impractical or functionally impossible for women. Um, so covenant marriage is not a no-fault divorce marriage. That's the distinction. That's why it was created in the first, pl in the first place, because mm -hmm. a bunch of religious fundamentalists were unhappy that their wives were able to leave them and not uh, they weren't able to stop For no reason. Right. Yeah. Uh, so first, if you want to seek a divorce, you have to first obtain, in most cases, a legal separation. And you are probably going to be forced to attend, again, religious counseling before getting that separation. And that's just for the separation. And also, after the counseling, to get this separation, you have to prove one of the following things. And this is directly from the Louisiana Health Department's website. One, adultery by the other spouse. Two, commission of a felony by the other spouse and a sentence of imprisonment at hard labor or death. Three, that you've lived separately for two years. Oof. Or four, habitual intemperance, drug or alcohol use, something like that. Cruel intemperance. Cruel, yeah, they still use old-timey words That's for it. That's really funny. Cruel treatment or severe ill treatment by the other spouse. Those are the only four grounds by which to get a legal separation there. And you can see the one that seems to be the easiest to get, living separately for two years, that's something that extra hurdles are created for in a religious fundamentalist household. In that, typically, the women are encouraged not to work and instead raise the children, and mm -hmm. thereby have no source of income. Nothing by which they could get a separate home and live separately. That's going to be one of the huge hurdles there. Yep. Then, if you want to get a divorce, you also have to obtain that same religious counseling and then prove one of the following. Adultery by the other spouse, commission of a felony, same one, same ones as the other one. Mm -hmm. uh, but the new ones, abandonment by the other spouse for one year, physical or sexual abuse of the spouse or a child of either spouse, or the last category, the spouses have lived separate and apart for two years, or the spouses are judicially or legally separated and have lived separate and apart since the legal separation for A, one year and six months is there a, if there is a minor child or children of the marriage, B, one year if the separation was granted for abuse of a child of either spouse, or C, mm -hmm. one year in all other cases. Again, it's the same problem. Yep. Very hard to do if we, you have no money. Exactly. And in a lot of these cases with these fundamentalist households, the women's the, the woman's family are not going to allow her to fall back on them either because they're likely going to, you know, not all cases. They're likely supported the marriage or don't support them enough. Don't support would, a yeah. divorce. Don't, don't believe in the idea of divorce. Whatever the case might be, they might also be pressuring for this woman to stay in a marriage. And also, I will say there, one of those things, sexual abuse of the spouse, a lot of these fundamentalists don't recognize spousal, spousal sexual abuse. They, yeah. they don't, right? 
we, we've heard a lot of the right complaining about no-fault divorce. Most recently, mm-hmm. Stephen Crowder comes to mind in his statements after it was revealed that he abused his wife and she filed for divorce. He, he made a, a, a comment that the only mistake he made was not picking the right one. And he went on this long diatribe about how he, mm-hmm. you know, he, he wishes that, that uh, no-fault divorce wasn't available in the state of Texas, but he, he, he can't control it. He can't make her stay. It's sick. It's yep. sick. These men want to force women to stay with them. And a, a big concern is obviously, like I said, that most of the people who enter into a covenant marriage are already religious fundamentalists. And I think mm-hmm. I've said in the past, my view of, of those who are deep into religious fundamentalism is that in some respect, they've already sacrificed a portion of their own freedom to this religion that you know they didn't necessarily choose. They were brought into it from birth. And raised in it. And you can't really say they freely chose it when they were taught from birth that this is just the way it is and you have to do this or God's going to burn you in hell forever. There's no mm-hmm. freedom in making that decision when that's what you're threatened with otherwise. No. And, and fundamentalist partners, particularly the women, are much more at risk of being victims of spousal abuse of many a types, uh, but not believing that what they experience is spousal abuse because of their inculcated relig- religious obligations and gender roles. It's just... This thing is so fucking creepy to me. This covenant mm-hmm. marriage thing is so fucking creepy to me. But it certainly doesn't leave any leeway for people to change their minds or their beliefs, right? What happens when one of the people in a covenant marriage becomes an atheist or even just a more moderate Christian? They're still yep. stuck. Um, if they don't have those resources, they're just stuck. And mm-hmm. thankfully, it appears that very few people have done covenant marriages in any of the three states that allow them. Really? Uh, yes. That surprises me. And and most commentators... Is there a record of it? Like a- No, I just found basically notations in uh, a law review or journal article was one that I read that basically just said few people have done it. Um, I didn't look okay. at what their citation was for that, but um, that, was, that was basically my source on that. But, okay. you know, I, I think it's fairly obvious that it's just a really bad idea in an attempt to further intermingle religion and politics. It's just mm-hmm. pretty obviously what it is. But so yep. anyways... Mike and Kelly got married in 1999. And as I said, the next decade and a half or so, he worked for the hate group, the IDF. Uh, Kelly was a school teacher. <laughs> the ADF. What did I say? IDF. Yes. for the tongue there. Uh, is there? Uh, but uh, Kelly was a school teacher for some period of years. Uh, again, the women in his life, not very highly documented. So if anyone has more information on her, please pass it along to me. But she is also a pastoral counselor. Because, of course, the women in Mike Johnson's religion are not allowed to be pastors. But there are subordinate roles created for them. And most of the time, women in these sorts of positions are only allowed to counsel women. Because, of course, they have no authority over the men. So mm-hmm. they can't. Only the women. Um, I'll expect that we'll learn more about her in the future. But one recent tidbit that came out in the last few days is that she had a website comparing homosexuality to bestiality. That was, That's uh, not shocking. Taken down basically as soon as Mike got elected Speaker of the House. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm surprised it wasn't taken down a bit sooner, but that's fine. I guess he's been public in these positions for quite a while, so it's probably not a huge shock. Then in 2010, uh, Mike Johnson was named the dean of the newly established Pressler School of Law at Louisiana College. Louisiana College, better known as Louisiana Christian University, is a private Baptist university in Pineville, Louisiana, with an enrollment of 1,100-ish students that teaches intelligent design, a pseudonym Mm. for Young Earth Creationism, of course. It also withdrew from the Council of Christian Colleges and Universities in 2019. I think intelligent design, to be fair, can be not Young Earth Creationism. It just says that evolution isn't real. But they teach that the Earth is 6,000 years old. They just call it intelligent design. Right. Yeah. 
Never mind then. <laughs> you and I are too well versed in intelligent <laughs> Fuck design. Me then. That. that was what I thought when I read that, and then I went looking, and I'm like, oh, they had this speaker there who was saying that it's a young Earth creationism. Okay, well, uh, whatever. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, uh, they withdrew from that organization in 2019 because that organization supported civil rights protections for LGBTQ students, which apparently they are not into in year of, of our Tom Holland 2019. <laughs> uh, but the most curious thing about Louisiana College, Benedict, uh, of which I will remember you, uh, uh, remind you, Mike was uh, uh, the law school dean of, is that it doesn't have a law school. Oh, interesting. Uh, <laughs> okay. How was he the law school dean then? Well, despite their plans to create a law school and his selection as the dean, the law school never actually opened. Uh, although he did once say in an interview, quote, from a pure feasibility standpoint, I'm not sure how it could fail to Daily Town Talk, a newspaper in Alexandria, Louisiana, adding that it looked, quote, like the perfect storm for our law school. It was never Ooh. able to get off the ground. He resigned as dean in 2012. That's good. But, you know, uh, uh, it, that doesn't mean he has no teaching experience. He is a professor at Liberty University. Oh, cool. Where I thought every... you were going to say PragerU. I really, <laughs> really did. Oh, God, you know what I didn't do before we got on? Is go and check if he has a PragerU video. I bet he doesn't. No way have PragerU heard of him before You know, this. that is one thing. It's like, <laughs> he's so unknown. If PragerU had a video, that would be the most, most shocking thing. But let's see. I'll search right now. Mike Johnson. Uh, nothing comes up. Nothing comes up. We got Paul Johnson. Paul Johnson comes up. Nothing by Mike Johnson, though. That's sad. I wish he would have had one. Uh, but at Liberty University, right, where every endowed professorship comes with its own pool boy, um, he is a teacher at the Helms School of Government. Helms okay. School of Government. Do you have a inkling of who the Helms School of Ju Government might be named after? Jesse Helms. Jesse Helms, who, among other things, called the Civil Rights Act the single most dangerous piece of legislation ever introduced in the Congress and did a 16-day filibuster against the approval of Martin Luther King Day and cited Ruth Bader Ginsburg's support for the homosexual agenda as part of his reason for not voting for her confirmation of the Supreme Court. Cool. Yes, a virulent white supremacist and bigot is the namesake of the School of Government at Liberty University where the Speaker of the House teaches. Great place right. to work, I'm sure. Right Perfect. I really pulled that out of nowhere. Yeah. That was <laughs> yeah. from the, the real depths of my lunatic fringe fucking <laughs> education. Every now and then something sticks in your brain. Yeah. Uh, but in 2015, the eighth district seat of the Louisiana House of Representatives was vacated when Jeff R. Thompson was elected to a state judgeship and Johnson ran to replace him unopposed. So he won that election, obviously, unopposed. Immediately after election, Johnson proposed the Marriage and Conscience Act, which would have prevented the state from enforcing any anti-discrimination laws against any person or business based on their beliefs about marriage. It's pretty clear what that was aimed at. Uh, Cake baking. <laughs> yes, Benedict. Uh, good way to put it. The Louisiana yeah. House Civil Law and Procedure Committee, which is where this one went. Louisiana, interestingly... They have, they have French-style civil law. Uh, that's what they follow. It's the only state in the nation that I'm aware of that has civil law rather than common law as the rest of the country follows. That's fun. 
Yeah, well, because, because obviously it was the French stronghold before the Louisiana yeah, Purchase. I, und- I understand why. But uh, very interesting that that's the case. Uh, they voted against the bill 10 to 2, with only Mike and another Republican, Ray Garofalo, no relation that I'm aware of, voting mm. in favor of it. Uh, and after it failed, Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal signed an executive order that implemented its priorities anyways. Bobby Jindal, a blast from the past. I know. I didn't know he was Louisiana governor. Did you not know that about him? No, I didn't. Where did you think he came from? A joke. <laughs> then, on February 10th, 2016, this has been a theme with a lot of people we looked at recently, Mike announced his candidacy less than a year into his term in the Louisiana State House. Is the, the people are like, fuck, I'm bigger than this. <laughs> to be fair, it is the Louisiana State House. Uh, for the U.S. House, running for the 4th District of Louisiana, winning the election there and becoming part of the House of Representatives. And, I mean... A lot of people have commented that it is shocking he became Speaker less than seven years into being in the House and having done basically nothing his entire tenure. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot who, but it might have been Politico who I saw call him the least experienced House Speaker in history. That's probably true just in terms of like time in Congress. Time served. Speaker. Uh, but as we've always done with members of Congress, I'd like to look at their history and see what they've done. And in Mike's case, it is shockingly even less than most of those we've looked at. Like, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert are more prolific introducers of bills than Mike has been. Who, by the way, I'll remind you, is a fucking lawyer with a mm. very clear agenda. Um, he has introduced, and I'm only going to point out the ones he's introduced. He has co-sponsored others. But the ones he has introduced, 22 pieces of legislation during his time in Congress. Only one of them has become law. That is H.R. 5142 to posthumously award a Congressional Gold Medal to the service members that were killed in the Afghanistan withdrawal in 2021. And okay. that passed in the 2021-22 Congress. Great. Uh, going back in history to his first term, he introduced uh, the Obamacare Repeal Act, which was named that despite the ACA having an actual name. But, you know, yep. oh, 90% of bills seem to be shit posts. It's weird how that happens. but Shocking, yeah. So many weird. of them do. Uh, the only other bills he introduced that year were the Congressional Accountability and Hush Fund. What year was that, sorry? Uh, the, uh, 2017. 2017, okay. whatever, whatever term that was. Uh, okay. But the Congressional Accountability and Hush Fund Elimination, Elimination Act co-sponsored with Ron DeSantis. Nice. Yeah. Uh, he also introduced an act to amend the Public Health Service Act to eliminate the non-application of certain state waiver provisions to members of Congress and congressional staff. Whatever, boring stuff. And then in the 116th Congress, 2019 to 2020, he introduced, for example, the supporting President Trump's efforts to ensure that every legal vote is counted in the November 2020 presidential election and to investigate and bring to justice those who perpetrate election fraud act. Otherwise known as the He doesn't seem to be one of the ones... He doesn't have the snappy acronyms. He doesn't seem to be one of the ones that focuses on acronyms a lot, right? It's no no Pelosi act going on here. (laughs) There's none of that going on. Honestly, I appreciate those more, Mm because at least I can then remember what they are. And weirdly, he also introduced a bill to create a Smithsonian Museum of Women's History... But, which is weird. It does not seem like something he would... What is your wife doing in the background? She picked up the cat. Okay. And the cat is looking at the screen, but he you can't see him. It's too dark. Okay. <laughs> he came to say hello, though. I can never see because the, just the weird yeah, lighting it's, it's in your office dark. there. I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, but yeah, the, it's weird that he would introduce that bill. I'm going yeah. to keep talking, even though she's still standing. No, it's fine. It's okay. <laughs> 
But the bill contains language that does say something to me, like this portion. Quote, ensuring diversity of political viewpoints in exhibits and programs. Oh, okay. Mm. So you want the mothers of the Confederacy to have their own exhibit? Something like that, probably yeah. going to be the case. Still a weird bill for him to introduce, though, right? But a museum, I think, would be pretty cool if it was actually ever created. I think that's yep. uh, that'd be a cool one to have. No, they should do that. Uh, he introduced the Justice Act, which is one of an acronym, which I didn't I didn't put down what the acronym means. Sorry. Uh, which was like supposed police reform bill. They actually just gave a bunch more money to cops. Um, and another bill to create a project at the American Folklife Center to document video and audio from the COVID-19 era. Which, again, would be an interesting project. Is it just using some tasers is cool enough? <laughs> I didn't listen to anything you said after Justice Acts, so I was trying to find an acronym. <laughs> is that what you've been doing? <laughs> yeah, I blanked out for 30 seconds while I was trying to figure out how I could... <laughs> That is a great acronym, though. That is a really great great acronym. Uh, Of course, there are bills uh, that are along the lines of his ideological extremism. Uh, These aren't ones he introduced, but ones that he did co-sponsor. Some of actually, he might have introduced one or two of these. Uh, Several nationwide abortion ban bills, including the Pain Capable Unborn Child Act, or Pakuka. Pakuka? Yeah, it's Pakuka. Pakuka. I think he's a wide receiver on the. Why are you on fire today? What is up with you and the acronym? <laughs> I haven't done much else. And the Protecting Pain Capable Unborn Children from Late Term Abortions Act. And the Heartbeat Protection Act of 2021. Thankfully, none of those passed. Other than that, his his record is mostly like introducing bills to award various congressional gold medals, including like honoring the staff who defended from January 6th. Uh, weirdly, that feels like, uh, you know, like an easy A. Like, it just feels like a that's an easy pass, passage of a bill. Yeah. That's just to get your name on the scoreboards. Well, like, no, oh, here's he's the funny thing. A couple bills. Those ones didn't pass. The ones oh, well, he introduced didn't pass. Okay. Other ones passed. Uh, but, you know, Johnson, he's not been quiet. He's been speaking plenty throughout his career. Uh, Upon election to speaker, he gave a speech which included an outline of what he described as the seven core American values, which isn't particularly enlightening. It's mainly just bland platitudes, but I figured we'd listen to him talk about it here. Okay, that's that. Communicator, but I really wasn't that. He said I was just communicating great things, and they're the same great things that they've guided our nation since its founding. What are those great things? I call them the seven core principles of American conservatism, but let me concede to you all I think it's really quintessentially the core principles of our nation. I boil them down to individual freedom, limited government, the rule of law, peace through strength. Peace through strength. Mm, That one's ringing some bells there. That one's ringing Mm. some warning bells. Responsibility, free markets, and human dignity. Those, Mm. those. None of those are things he believes in. They are euphemisms for the Christo-fascist policies he actually believes in. Uh, yeah, nothing more needs to be said about that. Okay. Uh, and Benedict, uh, the last few weeks, you might have noticed, have been full of some pretty weird revelations about Mike that frankly are kind of hard to categorize. So I just put them all in a chunk here at this cool, portion of the episode. Let's do um, it. So I said, yeah, at the end, let's just, uh, we're just going to run down a lot of his bad takes here at the end of the episode. Cool, let's do it. So first, 
is this thing that has come up. This isn't necessarily like a bad take of his, but this issue of him having another nester. Um, uh, apparently, like like Matt Gates, he also has an adopted, not adopted child. Oh, uh, weird. Named Michael, who is African-American, and which Johnson discussed in his interview with Sean Hannity, where Sean seemed to use the opportunity to try and get him to back away from some statements he's made in the past that almost lean towards acknowledging that racism exists in this country. Interesting. Really weird. So okay. it does appear that Johnson took this 14-year-old into his home in the late 90s uh, and is real. This is a real person okay. and does not appear to be another like weird nester, what's really going on here type thing. Uh, and I have to say... It's not, it's not the blind side. He's not, not trying to recreate the blind side. Not quite. Uh, I have to say, it might shine a light a little bit on the Justice Act and the fact that that bill actually included a handful of decent things, like a database of police shootings on the federal mm. level that was supposed to be created. So not not you know not a bad thing he did, just a quirk of his life that I wanted to highlight and that people seem confused about. Uh, next, in 2015, he of course blamed school shootings on abortion, saying to writer Erin Cameron or Carmen, I think it's Carmen. When you break up the nuclear family... When it's you all about the nuclear family. That's all it ever always, is. Always, which is why most mass shooters come from... Uh, never mind. Let's not talk about how they come from two-parent households. When you tell a generation of people that, uh, that... I mean, really, like, they always say that. They never discuss the fact that 90% of the shooters do come from, from dual-parent dual homes. Mm. It's uh, weird how they never talk about the Columbine shooters. Both came from two-parent homes, upper-middle yep. class... Doing fine. Never want to talk about that when they bring no. up these dumb talking points. Weird how they never do. But he says, uh, when you tell a generation of people that life has no value, no meaning, that it's expendable, then you do wind up with school shooters. And then, of course, in 2016, he blamed school shootings on the teaching of evolution in cool. a sermon he gave saying, quote, people Why say... Why is he giving a sermon? You're not a fucking priest. He's a Christian fascist. <sighs> you know this. He said, quote, people say, how can a young person go into their schoolhouse and open fire on their classmates? Because we've taught a whole generation, M-dash, oh, I guess the M-dash is from whoever transcribed his, his uh, sermon, so I won't, I won't count it against him. A couple of generations now of Americans that there's no right or wrong, that it's about survival of the fittest, and that you evolve from the primordial slime. Why is that life of any sacred value? Because there's nobody sacred to whom it's owed. None of this should surprise us. Another pretty Ooh. shit take. Yep, pretty another bad take. Okay. Also one that you and I are fairly familiar with from our oh, time. Oh, yeah, in yeah, yeah. No, that's, well, yeah, that and no morals. The you just classics. don't normally hear it from the Speaker of the House. No. You just don't. Uh, he is well, to be fair to him, he probably also didn't expect to become a Speaker of the House. Yeah, so. that's also true. He has also said in tweets uh, that doctors who provide abortion should be imprisoned at hard labor. Cool. Uh, and I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but he is also opposed to the right to contraception. Uh, he opposed, in fact, the Right to Contraception Act that was passed in the House and then died when the public industry took control. Um, and here, uh, he's, uh, he's spoken, of course, in the past about his opposition to the separation of church and state. Just not a great thing to be opposed to, like he did here in a speech on the House floor. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This week, we are observing the second annual celebration of Faith Month. Uh, Concerned Women for America and other sponsors are encouraging legislators across our country to give public display of our personal faith freely and openly. And what a great, what a great exercise this is. Of course, 
even though there is a dangerous trend today to discourage the or display or the depiction or exercise of our faith in, in the public square, certainly there's a move to keep religion out of politics and, and to rigidly enforce the so-called separation of church and state. So-called, so called, yeah. So-called, but he doesn't end there. The founders of this country uh, would have certainly supported our efforts here today. Indeed, this common misunderstanding about the separation concept is, uh, is an important one. It's, it's one that's it's, uh, useful for us to address, and I think today's a good day to do it. In fact, it's one of my favorite uh, subjects. It's, it's a topic that I've debated, debated and, and written and taught university courses on for the... For At a university named after a segregationist. Yep. For about 25 years, about a quarter century. For two of those decades, I was in the courts uh, defending religious freedom cases, and, and I learned during that time that I really believe that this is among the most misunderstood subjects in our entire culture. See, he has an interesting speaking voice. It's very bland. It is, it is bland, but it's also very fast but unhesitant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he's speaking quickly, and it's, it's quite... It's it's quite monotonous. It's quite one t one paced, but mm -hmm. it's quick. But he he's he doesn't good. he doesn't really hesitate. He doesn't do like a. There's no flourish to it. There's no rhetorical flourish. There's no. He doesn't like. It doesn't sound like he's thinking. It sounds like he's reading, but he's reading fast. I think what it is is he is very good at filling those pauses when he's thinking of the uh, the the part he really wants to get to. Yeah. With language that doesn't really mean anything but sort of keeps the the conversation moving that's yep. what it sounds like he's good like good at to me people today who insist upon a rigid separation of church and state are unaware that that phrase derives not from the constitution itself of from course we are all aware yeah, you can say we're not aware of it as much as you want we are all aware but from a personal letter that thomas jefferson wrote to the danbury baptist association in 18 explaining what the constitution meant yeah you know too he explained that quote because religion is a matter that lies solely between man and his god the language of the first amendment is a vital safeguard of our rights of conscience see jefferson said he revered this is another quote that act of the whole american people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting their free exercise thereof thus building a wall of separation between church and state yeah, that's what he wrote exactly. in his letter to the danbury baptist but jefferson clearly did not mean that metaphorical wall was to keep religion from influencing issues of civil government to the contrary it was meant to keep the federal government from impeding the religious practice of citizens so his argument there as you can see is that it only flows one way it's a yep. one-way wall if you will as yep. walls sometimes are. You know, walls. Yep, always. Often. Not doors. Walls. No, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a bad argument, man. Yep. It's a bad argument. To have freedom of religion, you need freedom from religion. If one particular religion influences our political system, as he puts it, by which he means controls it, then how could other religions have their freedom? How could mm -hmm. they not be affected by that? It's not possible. Also, I don't give a fuck what the founders thought. I give a fuck what we should have. And what we should have is separation of church and state. That's really what we should fucking have. Mm -hmm. uh, he is, uh, of course, of course, there's the one thing that can't be avoided when talking about Republicans, and that's Trump. Uh, of course, he defended Trump in 2019 during the impeachments. Literally, he was a member Literally of the defense him, team yeah. in both impeachments, which how the fuck did nobody pay attention to him back then? 
Really feels like we should have gotten a couple articles about this guy back when he was defending Trump during impeachment. And of course, he was one of Donald Trump's closest allies in attempting to overturn the 20 Yeah, election. legal votes, right? That was, he sponsored that fucking act, he said. Yep. yep. Uh, Johnson told reporters he'd talked to Trump twice and had told him uh, to exhaust all of his legal remedies. Then, on November 17th, he said out loud, where people could hear him, on a radio show. <laughs> Did he show, know? Okay, yeah. On a radio show, this. If it plays. <laughs> I really just want it to be like, one of these days, whenever you do a dramatic flourish like that, I want it to be an ad and it's just like, hot <laughs> pockets. <laughs> on a radio show, he said. So when, when you say that Cedric Richmond is moving on, you're conceding the election is over and Joe Biden is president-elect. I don't concede anything. I'm just <laughs> telling you what Cedric's done. Look, here's the thing. I, I've talked to the president uh, in, in the last few days, and, and he is still um, dug in on this. Look, we believe, all of us believe, I think all of us know intuitively, that there, were, there was a lot amiss about this election day. The, the fact that all these states with Democrat leaders uh, changed the rules in the fourth quarter of the game— uh, you know, late late this year, and they decided to allow for all these late mail-in ballots, and and you know the allegations about these these voting machines, some of them being rigged with this software by Dominion. Look, there's a lot of merit to that. And when the president says the election is there's a lot of merit to Mike sure. Lindell's Dominion voting conspiracy theory. A lot of merit. This is the this is the kind of leadership we're getting. It's rigged. That's what he's talking about, that it was the fix was in. You know, I could give you example after example in all these states. I don't know how much time you all have this morning, but there's some 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 of these lawsuits have a lot of merit and we need to exhaust all the legal remedies. But, I, I but say, so far, Mike, none of the lawsuits have, have he's he's lost the majority of them. Is that accurate or no? Well, yeah, he, he has. Uh, I love, I just kept that in because I love the little bit of put. I love well, he has. Yeah. Well, yeah, he has lost, but you know. So it would be no surprise uh, that on January 6th, Mike Johnson was one of the 20 Republicans who objected to the certification Shocking. of electoral votes. In particular, he objected to the votes of Arizona and Pennsylvania. Uh, and he was one of the people who crafted the argument that was used by most of the objectors that they should reject the vote because the states had violated the Constitution by relaxing mail-in voting restrictions. Mm -hmm. And I think we've all seen that clip of the reporter asking about his election denialism and being told to shut up by now. <laughs> shut up. That one made the rounds, so I won't play it here. Uh, but, Benedict, this is where we get to the end and also to the fun. It was revealed earlier today. Oh, fun. Okay. By Rolling Stone. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to introduce this one. That apparently he and his son both subscribe to an app oh, it's the weird porn thing. that allow yeah. them to monitor each other's porn habits. And this cool. is just so weird. So just here's the clip. I'm just going to play the clip. Guys within your home. And so uh, why is that such an effective tool? Why do parents need to put this into their home? Yeah, that's great. Great uh, question. We, we probably could have called this more appropriately a war on the darkness of technology. Because there are some good things with technology, of course. I mean, you know, the Bible apps we all love. We, we broadcast our services. You know. <laughs> so, 
So this is at some sort of event called War on Technology. And the okay. video's been delisted. Uh, so it's just what people have managed to capture from it. That's so available. there's also no way that the son hasn't found a way around this. Oh, absolutely no way. That kid's watching all sorts that, of porn. That kid all knows about incognito mode. Like, there's uh-huh. no 100%. You know, on our social media, and and there's some very positive things, but there's also, as Clint's pointed out aptly, some really dark things. So Covenant Eyes is the software that I, I we've been using a long time. Covenant Eyes is the name of it. Covenant okay. Eyes, creepy name. Good start. In our household, uh, I was I first learned about it at I think a Promise Keepers event in the early 2000s. I think it was What's developed in about the year 2000. Prom- uh, Let's listen to the clip. I'll tell you about Promise Keepers a little bit after. Uh, but it's the largest um, accountability software that there is. And, and there's some paperwork out there on the table that I think everybody may have picked up on the way in. If not, go get it. I, it's a subscription-based, I mean, we don't make any money on this. I'm telling you, I, we use it, okay? I, they're not, I'm, not in, I'm endorsing it because I'm a user. Uh, it's about $15 a month, $16 a month, something like that. And you get up to 10 devices. And what it is, it's accountability software. So uh, men in a church, you know, men's Bible study groups will do it. That's how it's presented at Promise Keepers. But they also mention, hey, when your kids become teenagers, especially if you have boys, dads, they're talking to the guys at this event, you might want to think about doing this with your sons. And so we've been doing that. And so what it does real, real simply is it has an algorithm and software. I'm, it's way above my head how it works. But um, it, it scans. You, you obviously opt into it. But it scans every all the activity on your phone or your devices, your laptop, tablet, what have you. We do. Man, that's just called Google or Facebook. Yeah. It does the same that's thing, That's your Google man. history, dude. <laughs> Let me just tell you that. All of it. And then it sends a report to your accountability partner. So... My accountability partner right now is Jack, my son, right? And so he's 17. So he and I get a report of all the things that are on our phones or all of our devices once a week. If anything objectionable comes up, your accountability partner gets an immediate notice. I'm proud to tell you my son has he's got a clean slate, all right? Yeah. But, but we, get, we get a report, and it says, hey, no, no uh, activity of concern, and it's really, really sensitive. It'll pick up almost anything. It looks for keywords, search terms, oh, and also... Gosh. It looks for the word boob. Yeah. If you type the word boob into Google, it'll flag it. <laughs> ...images, and it will send your accountability partner a blurred uh, picture of the image. And so oh, on occasion, no. I get one... So- Mike Johnson's son has been getting so much blurry pornography. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to know how much there actually is. That's the that is that not creepy as hell? Hey, it is. Your yeah, son I don't like is it. seventeen. Seventeen, and he is the person who will get reports about what's on his dad's phone or computer or whatever. Vice versa. Like that feels like yeah, some form of yeah. It feels a little abusive. I will say it does, doesn't it? I, nobody should be monitoring another person unless no. they're a recovering heroin addict. Individual like, freedoms, baby. <laughs> Let's go. It's really fucking weird. This is one of the weirdest things I'd seen in a while. And then there's the other big revelation of the last few days that he has not reported any bank accounts, investments, or anything else on his financial disclosure forms over the last several years, to which I am calling bullshit because, and here's my question, Mike, how are you paying that $15 a month for Covenant Eyes without a debit card, Mike? Mm. Are you sending a wad of cash every month? That's I don't true. believe you, Mike. I, think I really so. I don't. I think he mails it in. <laughs> I think he mails a check. He shows up to Congress to pick up his paycheck in cash. <laughs> he, pay, he, he mails a blurry check to Covenant Eyes every month. <laughs> 
And there's also uh, the seminar program he and his wife created a few years ago that promoted the premise that the U.S. is a Christian nation. Uh, and writing for Mother Jones, David Korn found a video of one of these seminars at which Mike declared that biblical Christianity, by which he means fundamentalist young earth creationism, is the only valid worldview and nothing else... <coughs> Sorry, and nothing else makes sense. He also said at the seminar, quote, You better sit down any candidate who says they're going to run for legislature and say, I want to know what your worldview is. I want to know what to know what you think about the Christian heritage of this country. I want to know what you think about God's design for society. Have you thought about that? If they hadn't thought about it, you need to move on and find somebody who has. We have too many people in government who don't know any of this stuff. They haven't even thought about it. Great. Not even thought about it. Cool. Awesome. Not thinking is, well, I mean, it's sort of the right thing. We Republican 101. Let's go. Okay. But the other big clip that has made the rounds is the one of him saying that he's a Bible-believing Christian. Just open up the Bible, and that's his position right there. Cool. But it seems that most people passing around that clip have left out the context that I think is important. Most importantly, what he was talking about immediately before he said that so I'm going to play it for you here right now. All right. And this is from the Sean Hannity interview, by the way. Okay. The press, the left, have come at you and come at you hard. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, I'll give you two big issues. One on the issue, you, you once worked for the Alliance Defense Fund, a Christian advocacy group. Yep. And that was the name of it before it switched over to Alliance Defending Freedom. Comments you had made both in writing and advocacy for this group about homosexuality, calling it sinful, destructive, um, and, and not supporting gay marriage. Um, quote, no clear right to sodomy in the Constitution. You have been getting hammered. <laughs> Seems no pretty clear. clear right to sodomy in the Constitution. And then he said you have been getting hammered. <laughs> <laughs> Unintentional yeah, comedy is yeah. the best comedy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. On this. Yeah. And I want to ask you about it. I want to know exactly, you know, where you stand. Some of these comments were 15 years ago. I don't even remember some of them. I, I was. You don't even remember what you've been saying your entire career about the issue that seems to be the most important one to you, Mike. Again, yep. don't believe him. The litigator that was called upon to defend the state marriage amendments, if you remember back in the early 2000s, I think it was over 30. Oh, so that's why he wrote all the editorials in his own personal name that attacked <laughs> LGBTQ people as deviants. That's, that's well, at why. least he did it in his own name, to be fair. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Five states, somewhere in that number, that, that the people went to the ballot in their respective states and they amended their state constitutions to say marriage is one man, one woman. Well, I was a religious liberty defense lawyer, and I was called to go in and defend those cases in the courts. Let me, let me state this very clearly, and, and there's been questions about this. Let me say where I am. Anybody that knows me will tell you this is true. I am a rule of law guy. I made a, a career defending the rule of law. I respect the rule of law. When the Supreme Court issued the Obergefell opinion, that became the law of the land, okay? You I respect the rule respect of law, that. but I also... No, he doesn't. No, he fucking doesn't. Genuinely love all people, regardless of their lifestyle. No, you don't. You called us deviants, you fuck. You dipshit. Fuck you, Mike. I don't love you. I hate you. I fucking hate you, Mike. Cool. Our choices. This is not about the people themselves. I, I am a Bible-believing Christian. Someone asked me today in the media, they said, it's a curious. People are curious. What does Mike Johnson think about any issue under the sun? I said, well, 
go pick up a Bible off your shelf and read it. That's that's my worldview. That's what I'm. I would so, say that that doesn't provide a good worldview for many things. Nope. And I'd say that uh, I think that people shouldn't have been leaving off that context of what he was talking about before he said that line, because I think it makes it very clear how absolutely full of shit he is, because we know what he means by that. We mm -hmm. know what he means by it. We know what he did. We know that he partnered with a Pray Away the Gay conversion therapy group for the better part of a decade. We know that he is, we've read his own words in those editorials, the hate he has spewed. And we know that that has been the entirety of his career and one of the more important things in his personal life. We mm -hmm. know that his wife just recently had this website comparing being gay to bestiality. We know that these people are vile bigots, and I think the important part of it, and the reason why I wanted to do this episode this week, is because despite all of their bullshit protestations to the contrary, we need to know exactly who they are and to not let them forget it or pretend they aren't. That's the important part. And with that, Benedict, I have a little treat. As I always do, we'll finish off the episode one short little clip that I think sums up a lot and ties it all back. Well, you'll know when I play it exactly why I included this clip, because okay. it's basically got one of our taglines in it. Here we go. Right. You know, we don't live in a democracy, because a democracy is two wolves and a lamb deciding what's for dinner, okay? It's not just majority rule. It's a constitutional republic. We don't live in a... No, we live in a constitutional republic, Benedict! He's not wrong, but also... <laughs> but off. also, he is wrong. Yeah. And the founders set that up because they followed biblical admonition on what a civil society is supposed to look like. That's where I wanted to end it today, and that's what I want to remind everyone that we need to try as hard as humanly possible to avoid is the biblical theocracy that Mike Johnson would like to set us up for. I wish that I didn't feel still scared coming out of today's episode. Yeah, that's fair. This probably wasn't very cathartic for you. No, not exactly. No. Um, this was, I'll be honest, like putting this episode together, it was more of, uh, uh, you know, I don't usually get like, like pissed off at the subject when I'm putting together an episode like I did with like Josh Hawley and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but this one, this one had me going, mm, fuck this guy hard. Fuck this guy hard the whole time I was putting it putting it together. Really did that to me. Yeah, that makes sense. I yeah, I mean We don't we don't have a good, good future ahead of us. We don't have a good future. No, ahead I mean of us. I understand that like the speaker is symbolically important, but like the dude was already in Congress, right? Oh, like wow. this uh, yeah. It also was, true. But it was already not good. Like, I don't feel like it's... Anyway, ignore me. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $1 an episode. For patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of our episodes, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. Ugh. Burp. Sam Walsh. Right-wing cruelty isn't a bug. It's a feature. Dan L. Jamie Fritz. T... Pete, <laughs> you switched it up on me and screwed me up. Peace teach. Dr. Milmanian Lennon Swim Womley. I think I got it wrong this time, but I got it right last time. You did, time. but it's fine. <laughs> the ghost of Larry Nichols. Jacob Johnson. Danny Rosari. Pause for the eh? 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 New buildings are a globalist conspiracy. Dapper Dinosaur. Carrie Converson. Bobo D. Bear. Chili. Madeline and Zachary Wilson Fetro. Stephen DeBoat. Tori and the Gallant. Shadow Princess vs. the Raptor Wolves. Runak Seti. Amy Kaiser. Sean Sullivan. Lauren S. I'm going to make my name as long as possible. Not, uh, sorry, not sorry, Kevin. L-O-L-L-L-L-L-L. Little Flick. Oh, Benedict, what art thou, bright spot? 
International travel. <laughs> Flack Weasel. Sadie's Sister Wednesday. Karen Dackler. Join us next week when our guest will be Mike Hawk. Henry Lewis King Jr., Sarah Wolf, Aaron Burke, Megan A. Dooley, Gloria Scott, Isaac Horvath, Clifton Stuckey, Paws, A Restless Native, A Baby, Wah, Veronica Forker, Polly Hauptman, Melissa C., J.D., George Saulnier, Janet Yutter, Stefan, It's Pronounced Quaka, Utah Outcast, Brett Lee, Pause for Breath, David Garrido, Dave Barwick, Charles Trulier, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Ellie Bartlett, Mockingbird Nation, Bacow, Tarn, Somerville, Fletcher, Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, C. David, Megan Ruth, Hot Waxabi, I'm here for the knowledge fight, Glowrung the Deceiver, Danielle, Big Easy Blast, me, Ian Guistino, Jay Reynolds, I did it again where I didn't filter, God, that's your fault, Patreon has changed the way the filter thing works and it fucking me up again, God damn it, uh, Jay Reynolds, Postmodern Podcast Podcast, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, Tarn to Cannon, Balls Waterson. I think that's the end of the list. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, damn you, Patreon! <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Club Podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.